Palm Sunday is one of those Sundays which has a different a quality of its own. I think there's no under other Sunday in the church year that quite matches the celebration, the sense of anticipation, but the mixed emotions that accompanies the, uh, the reality. Palms are featured, obviously, not just as uh, an adornment, but as a, a symbol of a celebration, a symbol of a cry called Hosanna. And I want to explore just briefly what this word Hosanna actually means. It's one of those words that I thought, we use it often, I sort of know it means praise, but what does it actually mean? So we're going to come to that a little bit today. The story is one in which there's a sense of anticipation. Who's been part of a, a crowd that's come from different directions, begin to, to gather together? What, what are some of the biggest crowds you've been part of? Billy Graham, yep. What are you going to say the showdown, but anyway. <laughs> There's different events and often when you gather together, if the crowd is in a really good mood, it's just got a real energy about it. It's quite exciting anticipation. Of course it can change if the crowd suddenly becomes fearful or anxious and then it goes in all different directions. It can be quite chaotic. But this crowd was in a really good mood. They travelled from all around the uh, various provinces, whether it's Judea and further afield around Galilee, um, even some came from uh, further distances to celebrate together the Passover. And usually would gather, come in parties, family groups, some villages would have a travel as a group and they would converge at the foot of Mount Zion in different directions, a few different access. And as they converge and have a great sense of celebration, they will be singing songs together and they will be singing what's known as the Hallel Psalms as they rose up to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where you come from, north, south, east or west, they all said they're going up to Jerusalem. And when you see the city, you'll know something why. It is a significant presence on Mount Zion, the, the temple atop of all that as well. So as they would come together, there was a sense of, of uh, God is our midst. God is with us. Let us praise God in these events. They looked back to the events of the Passover and they relived it as a present moment right now. We were there, even though it happened hundreds and hundreds of years before. And in particular, they would sing Psalms 113 to Psalm 118, the Hallel psalms, psalms of praise. Jan and I had a conversation this morning and wondered whether, were there any complaints about the music that day? Did anyone say, oh, I prefer that setting for the psalm? No, I prefer that setting, you know. You played that too fast, too slow, too... I suspect from time immemorial there's probably been some commentary about the music. They gathered together and they would sing the psalms. The word halal means praise. So the word hallelujah means praise Yahweh. And that's why it is such a profound and enduring phrase that is one that we sing commonly. As they went, Jesus had a purpose behind the gathering. This wasn't just one of the number of visits he made to Jerusalem. We're told in John's Gospel, we visited a number of the festivals. 
But Jesus knew this was the ultimate journey he was making. So he made some preparations, took aside some of the disciples, chose two of them to go ahead into the village of Bethphrase and said they'll find there a donkey tied up and a foal. And Matthew emphasises this more than Mark and Luke. Matthew really wants to highlight this uh, feature of it. And he said, when you go there, negotiate with a man. Tell him that the master has need of it and he will let it go. So they did just as they, were, as, uh, they had been instructed. Now, as they did so, there's a symbolism beginning to draw together for Jesus' entry in particular that was not lost on the crowds. They would remember the prophecy that came. So when Jesus entered, it wasn't just that he was one of the crowd. He was now standing before them, standing tall in his entry. They recognised that this is a moment of history, a profound moment. It's a curious experience sometimes to think that we are living in or witnessing a moment of history, something that will be talked about for generations to come. Were you there when South Australia went into lockdown for COVID? Where were you? I was in Saints Supermarket. There was hardly anyone there until people suddenly got phone calls. By the time I left Saints Supermarket, the crowds were right into the car park. Some reason, which I do not understand, toilet paper was just going out the door. <laughs> Living in a moment of history. They knew in a much more profound sense that this is a moment that had been prayed for by, for generations. Could this be the fulfilment? It's hard to process it and take it in. But they had a sense that this is part of something huge, something profound. In their praise, they lay out cloaks. I was very tempted to sort of provide some blankets this morning. My imagination was running away with me and I thought we could do a Mexican wave of blankets across the church as we go and back again. But then I thought, no, no, someone wanted to just disrupt the Mexican wave and so I, I've restrained myself from that one, maybe next year. They got the blankets out as a way of providing a pathway for this one who'd been promised to come. However, the arrival of Jesus was a striking arrival for someone who was to be proclaimed as the son of David, as the promised Messiah, the king. Because when a powerful person would enter the ancient world, they would come astride from a great military horse, a stallion, to show their power. In Rome, if you were a, a wealthy, powerful person, you were named in a... a uh, one of the equestrian class, that is to say you were able to have your own horse in battle. They were the elite as a sign of their power. These days I guess it's more the size of your motorcade and all the flashing lights that might accompany you and it, all those types, different types of things. But also be thinking about the other king, King David, who was renowned for his military prowess where Saul had won a few battles. David won many, many battles. So he was so successful, he brought peace. And again, they'll be thinking, the one who comes will be modelled on David. He is the golden age that we look back to. 
So the arrival of Jesus on a donkey, it's almost like a parody, almost like Don Quixote, you know, astride his mule as he takes on the windmills. But we know it's no parody. This is a power unlike any other power. Napoleon, in his modest moment, said there have been some great generals of history. He names the great generals of Julius Caesar and all the others. He includes himself amongst the great generals. But he said, no general in history has exercised anything like the power of Jesus, who had the capacity to, to win the trust and loyalty of people. Jesus, in his movement that's now gaining uh, energy comes as a symbol of meekness. Now the word meekness actually is totally inadequate. In English now it's, it's lost, it's a lost cause. I went into dictionaries last night to find if I could find any English dictionary that gave anything approximately to what the original word was and they're not. They all go in the sense of timid, of, of uh, unwilling uh, to push themselves, to be a bit of a, a doormat. That's not what this word means. In fact, the word that's used of Jesus is the word that was used of a powerful horse that was fully controlled, fully trained, and harnessed that energy as needed. It was a word that was used of kings and those in authority when they were not tyrants. That's the closest we get to how to understand this word. It's the word that's used of a king who doesn't need to prove himself, doesn't need to, to bully and to coerce and to bring about fear because they are so assured of the power that they have available. It is harnessed entirely to the purpose of God's mission. That is the word that's used of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. He doesn't need an army. He doesn't need a demonstration of power or wealth, anything of that nature. And so he enters. And they sing, Hosanna. Something mesmerizing about that particular picture. <laughs> you can sense the, the enthusiasm behind the cry, Hosanna. Now, how many coins have I got there? One coin, good answer. How many faces does the coin have? Two faces, correct. I knew I had to say faces, not edges, because someone will say it's got three edges. You're quite correct. It does have three edges. The word Hosanna is like a coin that has the flip side to it. The one word has two different elements to it. So that word Hosanna on the one hand, is a cry for help. Save us now. When in a moment of peril, you're crying out, Hosanna, help, is what the word means. But it was used so often of the cry for help to Yahweh, to God, that it also became to use, and thank you that you've heard my prayer. It's a bit like the word blessing we have. Sometimes we say the word bless, and it's a prayer, but it's also the fulfillment at the same time. We're so confident that God is one who does bless, that the cry brings the hearing and that response. So Hosanna, at, by this stage, was used as a cry 
with the absolute assurance that God has heard and has already responded. God has gone ahead of us in that cry. So Hosanna is a cry of help and thank God that he does help is the joy. So they gathered together and this is the cry, the cry of confident plea for help knowing that God hears and responds. God always has done and God will continue to do so. It's the cry of a people who know the track record of their God. It's what they remember at the Passover. God heard the cries of the slaves in Egypt and he sent Moses. God heard the cries of the people in the waters of Babylon and he sent, quite astonishingly, King Cyrus, the king of Persia. It was news to King Cyrus, but he allowed the people to return from exile. So this cry is used at a moment of salvation that is about to break out and so it does with Jesus. But I wonder, as Jesus heard this cry, it comes from Psalm 118, Lord save us, Lord grant us success, that's the word Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for from the house of the Lord we bless you. And they take that cry from the ancient psalm now, hundreds of years old, and they then use it over Jesus. Hosanna, they said to Jesus, to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I hope today that that's not just an interesting bit of information. That begins to tug at our heartstrings. That begins to recognise the number of times that we have cried out to God and knowing that God hears and God loves and God's love is shown in action. What we need to reflect on is the cost of God's response. I wonder how Jesus felt as he made those, that journey up to Jerusalem. He would have joined in the joy, the laughter, the pilgrims, the sense of celebration. But he would have known what lies ahead. He knew the cost of that salvation was to be in his own blood. As we enter this holy week, can we encourage one another to take time to remember, to sit in that space, to really recognise that this is a, an event of cosmic proportions and it is the most personal expression of God's love for us. The obedience of Jesus that led him to the most life-changing, life-giving news of all. As we focus this week, let us remember Jesus, the Son of God, who came from the comforts, the glory of heaven and entered the world as a human. Even someone of the lowest social status and died the death of a slave because that broke the, the fear, the, the darkness, the horror of the world as we all experience it.
from time to time. Hosanna. Save. And we thank God that he does just that.